Hey, everybody, we are here to tell you about a cool new feature on the website that we would love for you to check out. Head to howtosplitatoaster.com and check out the bottom of the page. You'll find a box floating there that says, quote, ask Seth and Pete, close quote. This box is magical. You just type a question in there and the robots behind the scenes will search the actual audio of our entire library of past episodes and not only give you a short answer to your question, but point you to the specific episodes where we discussed your topic so you can listen yourself. At this point, we're just testing it. To know if this feature should be a permanent feature on the website, we need your help. For that, we need you to ask a lot of questions. So head to howtosplitatoaster.com and click the box, Ask Seth and Pete. The robots will do the rest. On with the show. Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, your toaster wants out but you can still use the kitchen together. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson, and as always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today, we're taking on divorce in your business with a special twist. You and your spouse happen to be partners in marriage and at work. What happens to the business when the marriage dissolves? A.J. Grossman is a fellow member of the Florida Family Law Bar. He's an attorney with a special knack for considerations of spousal split at the office and joins us today to talk us through it. A.J., welcome to the toaster. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. A.J., we're glad you're here because we're going to talk. You're, uh, you're an attorney in Florida. I have two attorneys in Florida on the show at the same time. And believe it or not, I actually can't believe it. We're going to talk about an angle of divorce and business that I don't think we've talked about before. Death, right? Am I right? Like, this is a perspective I think is kind of new. Yeah, no, we've touched on equitable distribution, how you divide up businesses, maybe do a business valuation. We haven't gotten into the nitty gritty of it. And basically, Pete, I know you're excited because I'm going to say some lawyerly shit and you're hoping AJ is going to tell me and tell you that I'm wrong. Yeah, that you're wrong. You're right. I have my bell ready. I'll, I, I've just been dreaming about one of you opening a spreadsheet on this show because, man, spreadsheets are good podcasting. So let's talk about let's talk about the the, the challenges uh, that are faced by divorcing couples at, that are at work. And I the way I was thinking about this, because I know this is sort of your your jam, is like talking about people specifically who work together and are also married. And what are the sort of unique angles that they need to consider that maybe aren't natural in the adversarial process that is divorce? Is that a fair question? That is a fair question. Okay. Well, Every relationship is unique and every business that uh, I've run into with clients is unique in how it operates, how it functions. So when you take the uniqueness of, of two individuals and bring them together as a couple and then they run a business together, everything is kind of intertwined. Everything kind of smears together. So interpersonal conflicts become worse workplace conflicts. Problems at home can become problems with, uh, with relationships with clients. And so everything infects everything else. 
And so when you've got two people who, uh, you know, they met and they fell in love and then they had this great idea and they started a business and there were a lot of creative juices flowing and then conflict seeps in and now, you know, switch, internal switches are getting turned off and, and, and one spouse is, is, uh, you know, turning off the, the other one, not listening anymore. So the business suffers, the relationship suffers, the client suffers, the, the larger community, the global community suffers. And so, I would say that, that one of the, one of the common problems I run into, interestingly enough, are immigration issues. Oh, I didn't expect that to be the first thing that we were going to drop today. Yeah. So I'm not an immigration attorney. However, here in Florida, we have a large population of people who are here from other countries and many of them start businesses together. And some of them start businesses with their spouse who's a U.S. citizen, and they're not. And so when they're looking at a divorce, they, they're filled with anxiety and fear and concern. Well, am I going to lose a business because I'm not a U.S. citizen? What's, what's going to happen to me? We'll get to that overlay in a minute. But you just said something that is critical in all cases if they're working the business together is, will I lose the business? So Pete, this is the old check your local jurisdiction, but I want to lay out some basic law. So AJ can disagree with me or he can say the magical words, Seth, you were right. We're going to edit that. Here's, here, here's the problem. <laughs> here's the problem. We're saying that they start the business together. They have an idea. They get it going. They start a business. The problem is, how is the business titled? So if it's 100% in the husband's name and the wife is working the business and it was started during the marriage with marital money, that is a marital asset which now has to be valued and the wife is entitled to half the value and the husband's entitled to half the value. Even if it was just titled in his name. Correct. Okay. But the court cannot award her the business because he owns that business. So she gets the value of half the business, but not ownership of the business. She walks away. That's right. And if that's the situation, when couples start businesses, they rarely start a business and have a well-drafted, usually not drafted at all, partnership agreement. Yep. So think of a partnership agreement for a business like a prenup is for divorce. What's going to happen if I decide to exit the business, you decide to exit the business, someone gets ill? There's all these things that you have to consider when you start a business. And when you start a business with someone, that's called a partnership agreement. That's one of the documents that we recommend people sign. With a marriage, they don't have that. Right, right. So when you don't have that, you could start arguing over all these other things. So here's the problem. And then I'm going to ask AJ if he agrees, disagrees, or just to add on. Marital property. The way I describe this business, it is marital property. Now I'm going to define the business a little more for this very important example. It's a hairdressing business. And the husband is the hairdresser, and the wife is working 
the front, the back, doing everything. But people are coming to get their hair done for the guy that's cutting the hair and doing the styling. That's called personal goodwill. That is not a marital asset. So we could value this business and say it's worth a million dollars. Someone would pay a million dollars, but they're going to discount it because if this guy isn't working there, it's only worth 200000 Okay. So that 800000 is tied to him personally. That is not marital property. That stays with him. When you get divorced, you don't get half of the eight hundred or half of the million. You only get half of the two hundred because that personal goodwill is not dividable. But if you would have done a business agreement and a partnership agreement, that would have been accounted for. How I just I'm sorry. How do you uh, if, if this gets us into too much math? Please tell me how do you account for eight hundred thousand dollars worth of personal goodwill in a partnership agreement? You don't even have to account for personal goodwill in the partnership agreement. It's just part of the business. But in marital law, it doesn't count. So in business law, it counts. In marital law, it doesn't. Okay. Without the partnership agreement, the wife in my hypothetical gets screwed out of $400,000 because they didn't set up the business right to start with. Okay. AJ, do you disagree? (laughs) No, Seth, I, I, I agree with you. Pete's shaking his head. (laughs) give me an example that doesn't include the the personal goodwill or in this case like what happens if we have personal goodwill but both parties are named as owner co-owners right is that i mean because there has to be some accounting of value for the eight hundred thousand dollars of value of the central hairdresser even if it's a partnership in the in the business is that is that an example worth talking about so t- typically what I do is um, I will hire what's called a business valuation expert to come in and um, take a look at all of the financial statements, uh, probably uh, make a physical visit to uh, to the business location or multiple locations, and they will provide a business valuation based upon different methods to value a business. So there's things like the market approach, the income-based approach, uh, basically book value approach, and they'll run through each of those approaches, and then they'll talk about why one approach is, is better than the other. For example, if you've got a business and it's it's uh, rather unique and there aren't a lot of comparables out there. You know, like in the in the real estate world where realtors regularly do comps to see what, what homes in the area are, are selling for. Business valuation experts do the same thing. They look at other similar businesses that have sold to get some kind of an idea of what that business's market value might be worth. And so when they do their business valuation, they do take into account goodwill, whether it's enterprise goodwill, or personal goodwill. And like Seth was saying, if it's personal goodwill, in other words, people are coming to this business because of the owner. That is the only reason they're going there. And if that owner is gone, dies, disappears, the clients disappear too because that person isn't there anymore, then there's a discount. And so the value basically discounts the personal goodwill. If it's enterprise goodwill, I think you asked that question, so I'll give you an example. Let's say there's a a local car dealership, and it really doesn't 
matter who's running the dealership. The dealership has a reputation for great customer service, great salespeople, uh, great deals. It really doesn't matter who's running it. It's it's a great brand, right? That doesn't have a lot of recalls, no issues there, all that stuff. Yep. Yep, that's enterprise goodwill. The business as a whole has a great reputation and people will come regardless of who's running it. So if the value of a business with enterprise goodwill is a million dollars, we're talking about splitting a million dollars between the spouses. But in Seth's example, you know, if you've got a million dollar business and 800,000 of it is personal goodwill, that personal goodwill is discounted. So now we're splitting 200. Okay. I, I, all I could think about is like, okay, if Bob Iger gets divorced, people are still going to go to Disney. But if Mickey and Minnie get divorced and Mickey takes off, there's a discount. Am I close? 100%. And I hope I represent <laughs> Minnie because let me tell you, <laughs> you guys don't know this, but Mickey has been fucking goofy for a long time. I got a little insider information on that one. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So let's, you, Seth, you brought something up. I'm eager to, to talk about. We talked about the, the separation of uh, the, the marital part partnership agreements like the prenup and the business agreements at, at what point could a could a prenup or, or even or a postnup like help in the situation does that even enter the picture for people who are thinking well i'm a business owner i'm going to deal with my finances we're going to lay it all out in a prenup and it's all going to be okay because we've we've thought of that Is that a thing yeah it's a thing in fact it's a thing when a client comes to you and says i'm not on the business and i then explain there's personal goodwill and they're like, shit, my spouse is the face of this business. What do I do? My spouse wants to work on this relationship. I say, talk to him about getting your name on the business. How much, get, make it 50-50, make it 51-49%. And then you've cured that problem. Okay. And, and just for the sake of example, what if the person who's not on the business, on the ownership of the business is the goodwill. Uh, AJ, you want to take that? You want me to? <laughs> That's an interesting one. Uh, I've not run into that situation. Seth, why don't you take that one? <laughs> See, I can say shit. AJ's going to agree now. <laughs> There's right. a hot potato. <laughs> so here's the deal is that's not part of the that's part of the value because now that's like having the spokesperson that's an employee kind of has all the goodwill, right? Think of flow for Geico. Sure. Okay. Okay. We don't need flow, but flow adds to the value of the enterprise goodwill. But if flow is gone, then they got to get another spokesperson. They're going to have to do it. So you will have what you call key persons in the business that even though they're not an owner, they're going to be valued. And so how much are they going to stay or not stay? And this gets into something I know AJ deals with all the time, is part of a value of the business is the quality of their employees. So by way of example, you have the, what's called the C-suite, CEOs, chief operating officers, COO, um, chief hu human resource officer. Uh, so you have those types of C-level suite a business will be valued less if it doesn't have a robust 
mature, sophisticated C-suite. If you're just the guy that started the business and you're crushing it, you're making a million or two million a year, but it's just you and you're kind of juggling all these balls and you you got kind of a bookkeeper that's helping you, but you don't have a chief financial officer and you got someone like that handles the payroll, but isn't really do HR compliance. That business is worth less than it is if it had those key levels already there and mature because you need those key levels to help the business grow. And people are buying it for now, but they want to increase the value, right? I think that Flow example, Flow and Geico is a good one. Although if Flow leaves, Geico is going to be okay. If the hairdresser finds itself in a position where an $800,000 valued employee leaves but didn't have ownership because of his divorce, that suddenly becomes immediately a $200,000 hairdresser. That's right. And so if I'm buying that business, and we should point out to our listeners that AJ and I have the same hairstylist since we're both bald, and Pete <laughs> has this flowing, gorgeous hair like he's some Viking on a ship. That is a new one. The point there is I'm going to pay for that business, but I'm going to tell that hairdresser, I want a contract with you where you're going to stay on for so long. And part of your role is to teach other hairdressers. So I'm going to transfer his personal goodwill or dilute it by getting other quality stylists in the salon. All right. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Seth, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. It's just tragic. Pete, we hear this statistic all the time. At the end of the day, the courts don't care about the statistic. The courts care about keeping kids safe. And when I mean safe, I mean safe from a party who truly suffers from an alcohol disorder or is being wrongly accused of having alcoholism or some other alcohol disorder. It's easy and it saves you money. Instead of he said, she said, there's Soberlink. Soberlink is fantastic and they are a fantastic partner to this show. So what is Soberlink? Soberlink is a device. It's like a breathalyzer, but it is more. You blow into Soberlink whenever you want to prove in real time that you are safe to be with your kids at carpool, at drop off, at handoff, whenever you're going to be driving, you blow into Soberlink. It uses facial recognition to prove that you were the one blowing at the time that you are taking the reading. It sends it off to the people who need to know, people involved directly in your case, not to be used for publication, not to be used for social media. This just goes to the people who matter most for your case as you are collecting data. Soberlink Remote Alcohol Monitoring has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind during parenting time. And Seth, word on the street is courts love it. Yeah. And it's not just when you're getting in a car. Let's be clear. People can say, never gotten a DUI. What's the issue? Well, the issue is once you're home at five o'clock and you're no longer driving, but you're going to start cooking and having a glass of wine and that glass of wine turns into two bottles. That's now an issue. So it's not just getting in the car. It's when you, the children are in your care, custody and control, are you focused on them and not using alcohol? Independent third party, real time verification to support your case. I haven't been drinking 
Here's the proof. Those are the words that lawyers and courts love, but here are the words you're going to love. You can save 50 bucks off your device and get started right away at Soberlink.com slash toaster. That's Soberlink.com slash toaster. Thank you to Soberlink for sponsoring this show. How do you how do you approach tax considerations, AJ, before we get back into the employee stuff and the the just general dealing with the business? Are there tax considerations you need to be thinking of and aware of before you go into a divorce of this sort? Absolutely. And so the first thing I always say to my clients is I'm not a tax attorney. I'm not a tax professional. I'm not a CPA. If you have one, I recommend you consult with them. If you don't have one, let me know. I, I can refer you to some really good ones. So I I try desperately not to uh, step a toe into the tax world beyond uh, consulting with my clients and advising them that, look, you've got some potential tax consequences here. You've got some assets that should be what we call tax affected and some other assets that um, are whatever, after tax, so they don't need to be tax affected. Most people aren't thinking about those things. Most people are thinking when it, you know, when it comes to splitting up uh, assets and debts, they're just thinking, well, Florida's a 50-50 state, right? So I get half. Well, you know, yes, and there are some considerations, taxes being one of them. So here's an example, Pete. I know, I, I know what you're thinking. Yeah. If there's a 401k worth a million dollars and there's a bank account with cash worth a million dollars, which one do you want? Well, first of all, I want to say you didn't know what I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> second, I want the, I, I think, I think you're going to want me to say the retirement account. No, I don't care what you say. Seriously, pick one. Well, that's, that's a lie, but I'm going to say the retirement account. <laughs> okay. So I'll take the million dollars cash. You've now lost. You do care what I say. No, I was so, <laughs> absolutely care what I say. I was okay, so, let's do it again. I was, now I want the cash. Okay. Now I want the cash. Good choice, yeah. Pete. You won. I'm happy for you. Okay. All but right. what I'm going to tell you is, what I'm going to tell you yeah. is, I'm happy to take the 401k. But when I pull the money out, it's going to be taxed. And so what I want to do is tax affect it. And it's not really a million dollars. It's only 800,000. So you can have the cash account with a million. I'm going to take the tax effect. I'm going to have 800000 But then I owe you the money. You got it. Okay. You, you owe me the difference. And, and here's another one, which I think AJ is going to appreciate. See how I'm kind of softening him up there a little bit. Let's say there's a brokerage account and we're going to split that 50-50. It's got $100,000 in it. You're going to get $50,000 worth of stock. I get $50,000 worth of stock. Any problems there? I don't know. I feel like it's entrapment. It is. It is pretty much entrapment. <laughs> but I got another lawyer. You I am, well. I've got another lawyer AJ, here. <laughs> AJ, save me, please. AJ, what do I say? So when you're talking about brokerage accounts and stocks, you've got, um, you've got a, a, um, a basis and so, you know, if you buy if you buy Tesla stock at $150 a share and now it's worth $400 a share and you sell it, the IRS is going to want to know, you know, what you bought it for and you're going to have to pay tax on 
a, a certain amount, taking into account your cost basis. And so when you take Seth's example and you've got $100,000 worth of stock and you split it 50-50, well, it really matters who's getting, you know, if, if you want to keep the stocks intact, it really matters who's getting what. Because it, it, they could be completely different when you start talking about the taxes. So here's how it is, Pete. We have, let's just stick with Disney. We, you and I are married. We bought Disney stock every single month. But when we started buying Disney stock, and we've never sold one share, when we started buying Disney, it was selling at $100 a share. Throughout our marriage, every month we just put in the money, but now it's selling at $1,000 a share. And for the hypothetical, to keep it easy, the stock just kept going up and up and up. We didn't have ups and downs. I'm going to give you the first 50,000 shares that we bought. Because when I give you those shares, we bought them at a lower value. I'm going to take the 50,000 shares that we bought at a higher value. Because your gains are less. Because when I sell them, your t- your basis was lower or was higher. My basis was higher. So when I sell, I have less gains and therefore I pay less tax and I just screwed you. Bingo. Yeah, I would gonna, just want to make sure we say that out loud that once again, you have now hoodwinked <laughs> me and screwed me. And so we're two for two on the podcast. That's awesome. All right. <laughs> let's, let's, let's change gears back to the business, uh, and, and talk a little bit about, uh, keeping considerations for keeping, like say, say we want to keep the business running smoothly. One of the things that fascinates me that I don't think we've talked about is what happens when you want to get a divorce, but keep working together in the business. That's something you have some experience with. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So that's, that's an interesting one because that, to me, that takes a very special, it takes two very special people with a special relationship. And the ideal scenario that I can think of would be two people who, before they got married, they were very strong individuals and they came together and made a strong partnership. But for whatever reason, they fell out of love with each other and they just recognize that they're great friends, they're great business partners, but they don't like to be married. They, they don't feel like they're in a, in a quote unquote marriage, however they define it. Those types of people are probably more likely than somebody else to be able to successfully run a, an ongoing concern and to grow it however they want to grow it. The people who love to fight, love to argue. Part of their identity is in the fight with their spouse. Those are not people, in my opinion, who are who are highly likely to be successful in running a business together because that fight will just continue in the business and will probably drive it into the ground. Do you guys run into this often? Yes. Where, yes. Seriously? Seriously. So here's the perfect example. This was not a client of mine, but they're well known around town. They have a restaurant together. He's the chef. She works the front of the house, does HR, buys the wine, the whole deal. They're great at this restaurant. They've been divorced for years and years and years. They still own the restaurant together. Now, to do that, you turn this into a business relationship, which goes back to 
having a partnership agreement. What's the ownership? How do you take out money? Who has control? Do you have salaries that get paid to each of you first? Because if if you and I have the business together and, and you have 51% and I have 49% and we're both employees, you can set my salary. Uh, and I would. Yeah, I know you would. And you'd go back to the stock and it would be yeah, low. For sure. There would be, there would be <laughs> vengeance served. Oh. But I think AJ hits it on the head. You really have to consider the type of relationship you have. Now, another hypothetical, you're not really involved in the business, but you set up the business properly from the start where you're really one of the spouses is just an owner. Yeah, like a non-contributor. Right. I'm just a shareholder. Yeah. It's a closely held business, but I, and so we're going to divide up the shares a little differently, but you're going to still work in this business. And the reason we're going to do that is you're still the face. You're still running it. I'm just an owner. I'm going to get shareholder distributions. You're going to get your percentage of shareholder distributions. And we want to leave this to our children, or we want to ultimately sell this for a big payday. Yeah. For our children or legacy or whatever. Let's not divide the business now where the husband has to buy out the wife and now he's completely leveraged. He can't do what he needs to do for the business because she took what they needed now when it's worth $4 million, But geez, in five years, this thing could be worth $30 million, But I need capital to do it. Yeah. Yep. It's so challenging, though, and I'm sure it's because I'm too small minded to see uh, getting over that the emotional hump. But I do want to perseverate just a bit on dealing with post-divorce conflict when you're still working with each other, because if I know anything about doing this show since for the last six years, it's that like eventually there's going to be post-divorce conflict. And what is the order of operations when you need to change a parenting plan, but you're still seeing each other at work every day? I can imagine that gets really naughty when you're trying to fit. Like, who who do they go to? Do they go to their family law attorney? Do they go to their to their corporate attorney? How how do you resolve dispute? So that's the boy, that's a, that's a really interesting scenario. So it, it, it really depends. And I'll go back to my example of what I'll call, um, I guess for lack of a better term, higher functioning people. So there are people who can recognize and separate or compartmentalize their interpersonal relationship, their former marriage and their business relationship. Some people are able to do that. Many are not. When you start talking about, you know, we're working together and we've got these post-divorce issues, they're arguing about the parenting plan or wherever, where do they go? Well, it really, in my mind, it really depends upon the process that they used to go through the divorce. For example, if they went through a collaborative divorce process, I would hope that their collaborative agreement says, in the event of a future dispute, the parties agree to return to the collaborative divorce process to resolve those issues. So they would go back to the collaborative divorce process. If they were the type of people who said, eh, you know what, neither one of us really wants to hire lawyers. Let's just, let's just do it on our own. Let's hire a mediator. Maybe the mediator can help us resolve this divorce. So they hire a mediator and they get some signed agreements and they're, they're on their way. Well, now they have a, a post divorce, a post judgment issue. 
Well, they could always go back to the mediator. They could choose another mediator. I think, I think keeping families and couples out of the courtroom should be a priority and going into a courtroom in front of a judge should be the last resort. Nothing else has worked. This is what I need to get a decision. So this is what I'm going to do. Well, and I think your, your point is, is well taken that if you have people who are, who are high enough functioning in their interpersonal relationship to be able to even consider running a business to get together after their divorce, they're probably going to be okay with figuring out how to resolve their conflict with a mediator and not taking it to court. I imagine it would have to be a pretty uh, extraordinary circumstance uh, to get it back into court. Am I missing anything uh, on this? Oh, not that extraordinary. <laughs> uh, listen, no. AJ is like, we want people to get along. We don't want them to be in yeah. court. And I was trying not to say, how did we book this guy on the show? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Um, got to talk to Andy about that. Uh, but no, I, AJ's 100% correct, is that that's always the goal. But what happens is people move on with their lives, and sometimes that's harder to keep those boundaries separate. New spouse comes into play. You see that money's being spent differently. Um, or just... Not even a spouse, but just like, I'm out on the town now. I'm doing this. Maybe I have my freedom again. And so now they're not really doing what they were doing in the business before when they were trying to get home for dinner because uh, they're staying out late with, with their buddies. Who knows? So that happens in all business relationships. So it's really keeping an eye on that and being able to separate it now. It's a little harder to say I can't pick up the kids because I got to be at work and they know you're not at work because they're at work. So you don't want that excuse. Work. Right. <laughs> uh, but it, this happens and it's usually uh, to AJ's point, which is a good one. It's people that have the ability to separate and compartmentalize their roles as parents, their roles as business partners, their roles as former spouses that understand that they're still going to have to work together in, in one way or the other, whether it's raising children or working on this business. Um, and a lot of those people put their egos aside because they understand that if they can keep the money train flowing here on this business, it's going to be better for everyone in the long run. We're dividing it now at this time in the market or whatever might be happening, or there's no cash flow. They need capital to grow it in the future or, just to keep the house for the kids in the school district, whatever the case may be, that's just some smart business planning. And a judge is not going to do that. It's who wants the business? How am I going to divide it? What's the value on this date? Is there some sort of equalizing payment that has to happen? And how is it going to get paid? And it's it's a sledgehammer. It's not a scalpel. Yeah. By way of of summarizing here, and I'll I'll AJ, I'll give you the first crack at this question. You're listening to this show. Someone's listening to this show, and they run a business with their partner, with their spouse, and they're considering their relationship separating. Eight a.m. Monday morning. What's the first thing they need to do? Find a good business attorney. Business attorney first. I would. Okay. Uh, Seth, same question, but you can't have the same answer. No, 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 no. I won't. I understand the rules here. Uh, Listen to this podcast and follow AJ's advice. <laughs> three for three. I lose every time. Uh, AJ, you're a trooper. Thanks for putting up with us. Uh, you're a, a great asset to the conversation. We sure appreciate you uh, hanging out with us and talking divorce law, business law. Where can people find out more about what you do? Hold on. Great before AJ yeah, tells what? 
what? Where people can find them. AJ, it is such a joy to have another lawyer and a member of the Florida Bar on this show with me because Pete gangs up on me with all these other guests. I can't uh, tell you. Up on you. <laughs> what world do you live in, man? I, I'm happy to come to the aid of my fellow attorney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. All right. Now tell us, where, where can people find out more about what you do? Okay. Best place is my website, which is www.leapfrogdivorce.com. Leapfrogdivorce.com. I, I noticed yes. you also have a podcast over there. I do. But it might have been a little while. You need to get, when can we hear you again? <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm work. I've got too many clients keeping me too busy. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you hear what AJ just said, right, Pete? Yeah. Seth, you don't have any fucking clients. No, (laughs) it's a throwdown on the toaster. Hey, uh, again, honestly, it has been our great pleasure to have you here, AJ Grossman. We sure appreciate your uh, time. And for everybody, we appreciate you for downloading and listening to the show. Don't forget, throw us questions. Howtosplitatoaster.com. You can uh, submit your question to us. We will get it to Seth and, as appropriate, our fantastic uh, panel of guests. Uh, On behalf of AJ Grossman and Seth Nelson, America's favorite divorce attorney... I'm Pete Wright. We'll see you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida. Real-time follow-up. Um Unfortunately, I regret to inform all of you that we were wrong. And Andy, our producer, silent producer, uh, who lives in a little gray box in our because he's being punished constantly, has told us that Geico will be fine if Flo leaves because she's actually a progressive. <gasps> Geico, Geico's the lizard, you guys. <laughs> oh, my Geico's God. Geico's the lizard. That's right. right. And no one picked up on my mistake. No. No I didn't want to point it. out the faux pas. I really didn't. <laughs> Again, fellow lawyer. All right. Get out of here. <laughs>